0: right now on fast bracing for powell stocks mostly stuck in neutral as the market awaits the fed shares two days of testimony on capitol hill will jerome powell stick to the recent script of higher for longer plus tick tock on the clock a bipartisan pair of senators set to introduce legislation tomorrow that will let the government ban or prohibit foreign technology and products like TikTok, the ripple effect on the tech sector and relations with Beijing. Then big oil's bet on where prices are heading right now, Apple's new fan on Wall Street and the Chartmasters list of beaten down names he thinks are ready for a reversal of fortune. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinemann, Bono and Eisen, and Steve Grasso. And we start off with a countdown to Powell on the Hill. The Fed chairman set to face the House Financial Services Committee tomorrow. Investors keyed into any indication for how much higher the central bank will take interest rates. Stocks seeing a late-day fade ahead of his statement. That Dow giving up a gain of over 180 points to end the day basically flat. The Nasdaq up over a percent at its highs, ending just in the red. Rates, meantime, ticking back higher. The 10-year climbing back towards 4 percent. So can Powell say anything tomorrow that will put the steam back into the markets? We play this game often where I say if you knew what he was going to say, if you knew what this Fed speaker was going to say, do you know how the markets would react? And we often say no. So what do you think, Karen?
1: (laughs) I, I think I'm certain I don't know how the markets will react. I can tell you what I think he will say and should say is Higher for longer. I think that is the path of least resistance, actually. And I think until we get any data, prolonged data, not just a one month print, prolonged data to say that inflation is really under control or that the labor market has really moved, neither of which we've seen any hint of, really, that I think I'll just continue with that.
2: Yeah. Well, for a Fed that, that tends to show up the party later than they should have. They get to the party late, which is sometimes fashionably late. In this case, mm-hmm. it really wasn't, and they stayed too long. I think the expectation from the markets here. Uh, I think they're, they're 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 pretty set in the concept that the Fed is going to not change higher for longer. Um, we have had some data over the last couple of months. Obviously, uh, the the, the 517,000 payroll number of a month ago, and this Friday we have a huge job number. I think is critical for equities. I, I actually think that the the are listening more to the data than they are the Fed. I think we know what the Fed's mantra is. We get the chorus. We get the slight dove, the slight hawk. Um, everybody's saying the same thing. We see what happened to Fed fund futures. The most important thing is it moved from a place where we had 30 or 40 basis points of cutting to a place where we have about 15 basis points. You move that terminal rate out to October. The, the market is telling you that they believe they know the Fed is in the game. I don't think he's going to tell us anything new. In fact, politics really get into play tomorrow in the next couple of days because I think there are people... Uh, on the Hill that don't want to hear of an overly hawkish Fed. Um, But I I think they're not going to change their game.
3: You know, I I, I tend to agree. I just think think some some of the terminology might be a little bit different. That disinflation word was used, I don't know, it's n- no short of 30 or so times the last time he spoke. And I think the market found a way to, f- to find some dov- dovishness within that. So I do understand that the economic data has continued to be strong. The labor market has continued to be strong. Uh, inflation, I think we all have accepted that higher for longer is likely the mantra going forward. But I think he will be a bit more reticent to acknowledge developments that would lead to an eventual pause or pivot. And I think it's gonna be that nuance in terms of him being very cautious in terms of acknowledging developments that would lead us or be interpreted to lead us to a lower terminal rate, that that will be front of mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, the higher for longer, markets seem to believe the higher. I don't know if they believe the longer, if you take a look at what we're pricing in here. I mean, the the idea that there is a pause or a pivot in store at the beginning of 24 uh, Grasso, that doesn't seem like longer if you think that the terminal, the rate is going to be hit in July. I mean, that's a matter of months. Maybe that's long for
4: some people
0: (laughs) but i feel like it's not a long time at all
4: (laughs) right so a, a couple of things so we have to remember though that the market when it's when it's hearing from the chairman the market has been rallying that's a different dynamic than we've had in the past so when powell speaks the market has rallied second we he's going to be in front of the senate tomorrow senate is going to push him dovish He's going to be in front of the House on Wednesday. The House is going to push him hawkish. So I think he's going to have to thread the needle. He's never going to, going to be as dovish as the Senate wants or as hawkish as the House wants. He has to sort of wade in the middle someplace. And I think, other than the fact that the market ran today, I would have said the market was going to run tomorrow, again, on, on Powell's speech. So maybe I have a reverse, but I think the theme is, Senate is definitely going to bash him on jobs and make him be, sound more dovish.
0: We've seen a trading range pretty much, and, and I think we've been ping, ping-ponging back and forth. Grossman, I know that you've been a big proponent of this, uh, us remaining in this trading range, and I'm wondering you know, what, if what Powell will say will influence either going above or below on that range.
2: Well, I, I don't know if it's going to, again, I think we're, we may be all saying something similar. I'm saying that I, I think the, the market has taken its cues from really what the right. what the data is giving us. But but I, I do agree with this 38 to 42 range, and I think 43.50 is certainly the bogey that the market wants to get through. The most encouraging thing for the market right now is the support you've gotten from mega cap tech, adding to what I think has been extraordinary breadth. I mean, we talked about industrials on Friday, transports. I actually think banks are going to show very strong numbers in Q1 as well, and I, I when you layer in what's been going with mega cap techs, so you've had the triple Qs or the NASDAQ 100 outperforming the market and started to do that really in February. We're going to talk about Apple in a little while. And Apple is obviously the biggest stock. So when you have this combination, it, to me, the risk is to the upside, not to the downside, especially for equity markets that were holding serve in the last month when we went up 70 bips on rates.
0: Is volatility mm-hmm. being so low, Bonwin, do you think that's playing into the willingness to be in mega cap tech at this point?
3: I think that, I, I think also just, just underinvestment. I think that's likely why. You don't need the put protection when you don't have the long exposure. And I think it's those two things in combination that are leading to a suppressed VIX. I still think there is some read through in terms of people being a bit complacent here. I understand, I'm with Tim in terms of holding serve that 3940, 3950 level. We kind of held that 200 day support, but the sentiment has shifted drastically. We were at a situation where people were underinvested, everyone was calling for a bearish market. I think it's quite the opposite now. And for me, I, I mean, I, I sound like a broken record, but I think that the risk is actually to the downside here. You, you, the, the thing that you least expect or that you least want is now a rollover, and that is ex- the exact opposite of where we were going into this rally.
1: I think Tim is really right that it, it's the data and not the Fed anymore, and so we have some, I, we have something going on here. Someone's but, excited well, yeah, It's very exciting. <laughs> All oh kinds God. of. Okay, things, right? <laughs> but so we it might be noise. Like we have, any- yeah, some <laughs> wholesale inventory number, which could be read either positively or negatively. If they're up, you could say, all right, well, ma- whole- managers are feeling good. They want to have inventory because they believe that they're going to be able to sell it. Or you could look at it as they have excess inventory that they haven't been able to sell. You know, you kind of just, uh, you, you know, it's that sort of, uh, what was it, Yaza or Yanni or something. Oh, o- right, like what do you see? Yeah, you- what do you, Yeah. yeah. And um, so Arnold Horshock, the Horshock thing. No, it was like a <laughs> like red, the blue, <laughs> red, blue green. Why right, was blue blue red, gold or, dress, red blue or gold? Dress. Blue yeah. yeah. Um, and then Friday we get some very big, uh, yeah. we get some very big employment numbers. That's going to be really important. Yeah. All right. For more on what to expect from Powell this week, let's
0: bring in Steve Leisman. <laughs> Steve, what do you think? What what do you think he's going to say? Do you think he's going to talk about, you know, the circumstances for a pivot or a pause? Do you think he's going to say, I can't see a pause or pivot happening in the first half of next year?
5: No, I think he's going to go out of his way to make sure that any doves on your panel don't have any reason to trade. I think there was perhaps some concern coming out of the press conference that, you know, why did the market take it as dovish? Maybe because he said that word disinflation 11 times, which you guys were talking about. I think he's going to make sure that uh, people understand that, that to the extent that there's any risk, that risk is to the upside. I think he's going to affirm the market pricing, which if you look at it now, has that October contract up near 545, has almost eliminated by now any cuts by year end. And it'll be interesting to me to see if he starts working on the rest of the cuts that are built in, which are now, we'll show you this chart for the first time. I don't know if you guys have it, but we've put June 2024 on on our bar chart that we use all the time. And that's where the cuts are now built in. The question is whether or not Powell wants now i'm not sure he does but it is one area to think about wants now to shift that bar to the right there or that hump there to the right and make people think higher for longer means well into next year that is something that bostic said i'll be looking for that i think another thing i'm looking for is how hard a time does the senate and the do the house of the senate give to power remember he's a fed chair coming to the uh, congress who is not meeting his mandate, has not met his mandate for a year now with high inflation um, and after one of the most aggressive rate hike cycles in a while. So there should be some probing questions about, Mr. Chairman, why aren't you meeting your your mandate and what are you going to do to meet it? Uh, And I think there was some cogent commentary just a little bit earlier on the differences between the House and the Senate. I think he's more likely to get that line of questioning at the House. And the answer, the only possible answer he has is to do more. Um, I don't think he has any other possible answer.
0: Um, There is a line of thinking, Steve, that because the stimulus lasted for so long and was so large that it, it will take longer for what Powell is doing to actually work and i'm wondering if you you're hearing this or if if the fed officials will actually address that because i i understand that you know this is political theater in in large part so they're going to press him on why he's not meeting his mandate but it's not like he's the only one at the switch here (laughs) that created the situation i mean congress sort of made a very difficult they had nothing you know they had to do it they had to do what they had to do but this is the situation
5: It is true, Melissa. And you would think a Fed chair under the current circumstances might turn to Congress and say, hey, guys, you can help out a little bit. You can cut spending yourselves and try to make things a little tighter from the fiscal side. And you could increase immigration to try to loosen up the labor shortage. But Powell has chosen in general not to take that tack of trying to uh, uh, urge policy from Congress. So Uh, Those things that you mentioned are are, are possible, but I don't would be helpful, you would think. But I don't think they're going to come from Powell's mouth. Um, You're right, though, that uh, he's, he's doing the best he can. The trouble is, Melissa, I keep reading commentary that suggests that it's going to be very difficult for Powell to have much impact on the key area that he's most worried about, which is service sector inflation. And there's this increasing concern that we might have seen the best of the goods disinflation we've seen for a while. So it's a little unclear to me how this inflation gets under control at this point. If goods don't disinflate and service continues to inflate, I think we may have a problem for a while here.
2: Hey Steve, Tim. In the context of this political theater, do you think that that Powell could actually push into a little bit liquidity conditions, which have gotten extremely, um, I would say, soft, but certainly relative to one year ago when we peaked at nine percent the last time he was on the Hill. So, do do you think that there could be some dynamic to point out what's going on with with the, you know for 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 politics that are going to lean on him for staying at the party too long. um, He's going to have plenty to say. And in that sense, it could be negative for markets because he can point out the obvious. We're in a very different place than we were even in October uh, when the market was looking at conditions, whether it was spreads, whether it was equities,
5: uh, whether it was even where you were seeing lending and mortgage rates. I mean, what I am not hearing right now, Tim, that there are a lot of, Big liquidity concerns out there right now, unless I'm missing something. Um, what it has been a little bit remarkable about this whole uh, uh, run here, especially with the Fed upping the uh, balance sheet reduction to that 95 billion dollars, is that seems to, things seem to have proceeded relatively orderly. We have had, as you know, Tim, a massive move in Treasuries, and I unless I'm missing it, Tim, which you can maybe fill me in, I'm not hearing about massive dislocations.
2: No, and in fact, what I was pointing out is it gives Powell some ammunition to push back on legislators that have their own things to worry about in terms of of a a Fed that they think is being overly aggressive. And I think he can say, hey, look... um, The the world's a much easier place right now. If anything, we have to be more on the switch. I don't see the liquidity issues out there. That's my point. I actually think that we're in an environment right now where liquidity is not dried up. We haven't had the liquidity event. We're not even close. Spreads have widened out, excuse me, have tightened up substantially. um, And that's actually, you know, been very positive for the market.
5: And and you saw those companies go into the market with some 10-year sales and some corporate bond sales. That Mm -hmm. were pretty interesting in this environment that suggests there is some liquidity out there.
0: Yeah. Just quickly, Steve, before we let, let you go, do you think that he's seen the jobs report or he will have seen it?
5: No. Um, so I reported this several years ago. There's a piece of the jobs report the Fed gets regarding um, uh, ma- uh, employment in the manufacturing sector that it gets early. Um, and I don't know how high up the chain that is, uh, that is shared, um, but I do know he'll get it Thursday in the afternoon. Uh, so mm-hmm. I don't think he's seen it yet, which which is an important thing, Melissa, that I should have noted. Um, to the extent that Powell is hawkish, he may attenuate some of his comments in case he gets some help from the Friday jobs report and next week's CPI report. I think all indications are that he won't, because even if that jobs report on Friday is the way it's forecast to be, half of what it was in January, it's still going to be too strong for the Fed.
3: Yeah.
0: Steve, thanks. Steve Leisman. For more on how Powell's testimony could influence the markets, let's bring in RBC Capital Markets Head of U.S. Equity Strategy, Lori Calvacino. Lori, great to have you with us. I know you make it a point that you don't usually make any big Fed predictions here, but I'm wondering if, at least for right now, if you're seeing sort of a, a sweet spot in terms of being able to trade equities from the long side. It feels like a lot of strategists are saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to trade the markets that are, that are here and now. And right now, things look OK. And I'm thinking most specifically about, for instance, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, who's been pretty bearish. But he's saying right now, you can trade. What do you think?
6: Look, I think that, you know, I think we're sort of stuck in purgatory right now, where I think investors are frankly fed up with 2023. A lot of them put those bets on last year. There was some, you know, kind of, I think the pause was essentially pre-traded back in January. But I think, you know, investors have their own idea of where earnings growth is going to come in this year. And I think they're ready to look forward to 2024. But I think we quite don't have enough information about 2024 yet for markets to really shift there. So I think we're still sort of being kind of pulled into this 2023. Three recession, Fed inflation narrative. Some days we kind of, you know, get a little bit pushed more towards that 2024 recovery. Um, and I think we're stuck a little bit. And I think that's why markets are sort of churning around and chopping right now, frankly.
1: Laurie, it's Karen. So we were talking on the desk before you were on about whether, whether it really matters what the Fed says. Is it other things now that will drive the market? What's your opinion? Is there anything you can say that will really move the market?
6: You know, as, as an equity strategist, right, I don't feel like I'm necessarily going to get anything substantially new over the next few days. We'll see. Maybe I'll be surprised. I do think that one of the reasons why in February we started to see the growth trade uh, growth trade trade sideways relative to value again after such a strong January was that growth got a little bit expensive and it got a little bit of crowded if you look at the CFTC data. So there was room for markets to sort of, you know, price in the idea of, OK, maybe we're a little too optimistic on the pause. We're a little too optimistic on inflation. So I get all that. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know that markets are really going to be hanging on every word. We've had our dose of hawkish Fed speak. I think it's really all about the data from here, to be honest.
3: Laura, you mentioned uh, some pre-trading of the pause. I don't know if it was December or January that you mentioned. Do you think that with the recent backup that we've had in rates, do you think that the market is finally in line and receiving the message that the Fed has kind of reiterated time and time again?
6: Look, I don't think the market was ever ignoring the Fed, but I do think that when we came into January, growth looked very reasonable relative to value, and we didn't have a crowding problem in growth. So it was okay for markets to look more forward and say, okay, we already priced in the sort of last – you know, chapter of the hawkish Fed, it's okay to go ahead and start pricing in the pause, the transition to something new. But then that trade got ahead of its skis. So we had to ease back on that a little bit. Um, you know, and I look, you know, I sort of appreciated Steve Grasso's commentary in the earlier segment. Um, I'm really, frankly, more interested in what Congress has to say and how heavy they're going to really push the employment side of the mandate over the next couple of days, um, at least in the Senate. To me, that's really going to be interesting to see how much that enters into the discussion and how Powell responds to that.
0: Lori, always great to get your take. Thank you, Lori. Thanks for having me. Grassley, you got singled out for making a cogent comment about the employment. I mean, that's key. That's key, right? I mean, if we're talking about five plus percent, that's not politically palatable.
4: Yeah. And, uh, you you know, I mean, it just comes down to jobs uh, ultimately. And it's it's always politically correct to worry about Jobs, So we do have a dual mandate with the Fed. The problem is with these long and variable lags. I, I, I just really want to know how Chair Powell sees that. And does that dictate his actions? Because if he doesn't, then what, what? what is this? As Tim said before, they show up too late, they stay too long. But if everyone knows this, this is a very cerebral body. What are they going to do to avoid that? This time, and I'm starting to hear lastly, I'm starting to hear this argument that earnings are going to be under pressure now because inflation has died down, and that was helping earnings. So it's sort of you know this circular argument now. Aren't we hoping for inflation to come down? So I, I think he's got a real needle to thread in this. He's going to get pushed from both sides of the aisle. I think he's going to stay on message, and I think he's actually done an excellent job as of late sending that message, and the markets liked it.
0: All right. Coming up, some magic in Merck shares today. The pharma stock jumping on some positive drug results. We're bringing the details next. Plus. Keep an eye on Apple analysts biting into the tech stock in a big way. Just how high they see the stock going from here. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money is back in two. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com meetingdemand meeting demand.
7: Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at tmobile.com slash now.
0: Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Merck jumping nearly 4% today after posting positive data from a pair of cardiovascular disease drug trials. It was the stock's best day since last June. Meg Terrell's got more on the results. Meg.
8: Hey, Melissa. Well, this was on two different drugs. The first one is for a rare um, heart disease known as pulmonary arterial hypertension. This is a drug that Merck acquired when it bought Acceleron for more than $11 billion. Uh, And they showed in a trial that uh, they were able to reduce the risk of clinical worsening or death from this disease by 84%. So that really contributing to part of the rise today. The other is that they had some data from a phase 2b trial for a cholesterol pill. Uh, This is a a class of drugs known as PC. CSK9 inhibitors, but all the other ones are injectables, and this one is actually an oral formulation. And they showed they could reduce that bad cholesterol by as much as 61% in this trial. We talked with Merck's chief medical officer about what this potentially means for treatment. Here's what he said
2: Targets for optimal lipid management have really, really uh, dropped significantly. Uh, and so, unfortunately, statins have kind of maxed out. There's no way to get to a, a uh, goal in many, many patients without something else. So having another oral medicine that can really drop cholesterol uh, intensively will be a major advantage.
8: So J.P. Morgan puts estimates for both of these drugs in peak sales at perhaps $4 billion a year. You can see Merck up there, 4% on this news. Uh, Esperion was another company that had some cholesterol results out of the same cardiology conference over the weekend had dropped 20% on that. That's a less than $500 million market cap stock, but got a lot of attention. Amgen and Regeneron were showing you there because they make the injectable versions of PCSK9 drugs, not reacting so much, Mel, because that market never transpired the way it was expected to when these drugs got on the market about eight years ago. Melissa? Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey's initiated with a buy mag. So these
0: drugs factor in into the model.
8: Yeah, yeah, they're expected to potentially contribute to Merck's goal of $10 billion coming from cardiovascular sales over the next few years. And this, of course, is they're worried about losing patent protection on Keytruda starting in 2028.
0: Yep. Meg, thanks. Meg Terrell. Where are we sitting in healthcare?
1: Well, I'm long Merck, I'm long a number of uh, healthcare, Bristol Myers and um, uh, AbbVie and Pfizer. Uh, Pfizer's been kind of the dog Merck. So Merck's done a great job, except it's just getting a little bit expensive now. I mean, if you look back a year ago, you could buy this a sub 10-ish, maybe, mm-hmm. P.E. It's much higher now. I mean, news like this is good, but it's going to be a while. We don't really know, you know what it's going to be worth. So um, I-, I wouldn't be buying more here right now. I'm
2: Long Mark, and it's been a great two-year run. Stock's up almost 60% over those couple of years. It's outperformed after trading cheap to peers. And I think, to me, the relative value comes back into Pfizer. All of these companies are talking about how they're replacing their pipeline. And in the case of, Mark, we just heard how $10 billion are supposed to come from pulmonary uh, over the next few years. Pfizer's talked about $30 billion coming from replacing that oncology drug, or at least the rumors of them doing the deal with, with CGen last week are important. I actually... I'm nibbling on Pfizer here, and I think the valuation and the charts come together very well at 40
3: bucks. So I saw one study that was that was showing the global statin market to be expected to be about 18 billion by 2028, which is when these uh which is when the Keytruda situation kicks in. I've seen another much more aggressive study placing it in the mid-60s. So I, I can see the logic here in terms of looking to shift in terms of the adjustable market. And and you heard the CEO talk about some of the limitations around the statin. So like you're talking about a massive adjustable market globally here, and at the same time, uh, you know, when the Keytruda situation kicks in, I think that the timing, and you look at the compound annual growth. Rate, expected to be as, as high as 9% uh, per annum. So I, I think you're looking at a market that allows them to kind of shift uh, some of that revenue pressure.
0: All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next.
9: TikTok on the clock, and this party may stop. Lawmakers prepping a ban on the Chinese video app. What the move could mean for the digital ad space and all the TikTokers out there. But first, a big call on the Big Apple. The stock, not the city. Why analysts are gearing up for huge moves in the tech stock. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
7: Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now.
0: Welcome back to Fast Money. A big Apple call out of Goldman Sachs. Analysts initiating the tech stock with a buy rating, calling for more than 30% gain in shares over the next 12 months. Goldman saying that despite recent product headwinds, the iPhone installed base success supports the recurring revenue or Apple as a service opportunity. Apple's already up nearly 20% this year. Um, Karen and I were mm-hmm. discussing this. Uh, no, yes. no knocks in Goldman Sachs. But, I mean, I didn't feel like mm-hmm. I knew anything I read totally. it. Yes, you? it's not totally. a
1: radically different. Five G, exactly. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Okay, so go and ahead. The thirty percent upside is a pretty. You know, that's it's out. There. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they talk about the services revenue mm-hmm. and all the reasons why the services revenue, even though if the, even if it's not a additional handset growth. Um, that it's this locked-in system, and they've got all these other add-ons now, and so that's 40% revenue of the kind that gets a higher multiple because it is somewhat recurring. But you know, you put a big multiple on that to get to the 199. It wasn't. It was. It was bullish, but it wasn't earth-shattering to me. Um, I, I'm long. Um, I'd probably be out before 199. Actually, Steve.
4: Yeah, you know, if you remember when when uh, Apple was on a tear, we were all talking about that three trillion mark in price. Uh, I, I believe it's one eighty two eighty six. I wrote that number down. We haven't heard much about that level. Uh, I think they're just dusting off, as you said, not to not to be cruel to Goldman. They're dusting off everything that the entire street already has said and known. If you look at a chart, Apple's charts. Uh, They're above all its moving averages currently, but just on a spike recently, Meta's chart looks the best out of all the majors. But I think we're going to start talking more and more about that $3 trillion market cap again, and that's going to act as a magnet for the stock. So I, I agree. I think it goes higher.
0: You can know all of these things that are, you know, the pillars of a bull case, but you may not necessarily believe that Apple goes to where Goldman Sachs is predicting it goes, especially in this sort of market environment, Tim. I don't know where you stand But This that. is
2: an easier call to make when Apple's outperformed the S&P by 15 percent, mm-hmm. you know, since January 3rd. And, and, and. I don't know why we're feeling bad about saying one thing or another about Goldman. So I, I'll just true. say, <laughs> I mean, we, we, you know, we've been talking about Goldman about a lot lately. We <laughs> I, I mean, only wish they were talking about it. But I think the call on Apple here is interesting. I would push back on saying it's cheap relative to itself. It's not cheap relative to itself. Now, depends on. Are you calling it a services company? It's cheap if you're calling it a software company. It's cheap if you're calling it um, services and that their gross margin is gonna go to, to X, but it's not cheap relative to itself. And it's and it's still largely a hardware company and 5G isn't new. So that's the part of this that's a little puzzling. It's easier to make this call now.
0: All right, coming up, calls to ban TikTok going viral in recent weeks. What the latest legislation could mean for the social media space next. And the TikTok talk as shares of snap surging, but option traders think The move is too good to be true how they're playing that name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks giving back early gains late in the day as Treasury yields continue to climb. The Dow still managed to eke out a gain for the fourth day in a row. The S&P up less than a tenth of a percent. The Nasdaq unable to stay positive, though, breaking a two-day winning streak. And some names hovering around all-time highs, United Rentals, Steel Dynamics, and Progressive, all trading near those levels. United Rentals, Karen.
1: Yes. I, I mean... I- I don't know. I really like United Rentals. We've talked a lot about their backlog and how, you know, this infrastructure spend, which we haven't even really seen yet. is fantastic. This is the most uh, this is the most excited about their business I've seen them be. But you're you're sticking with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Meantime,
0: yeah. yeah. mm-hmm. lawmakers preparing legislation that would give President Biden the authority to ban TikTok in the U.S., a move that could have huge implications for social media stocks and the digital ad market. Kayla Tashi joins us now with the very latest on this. Kayla.
10: Melissa, well, it's not just lawmakers. The White House has said it's exploring new options to deal with TikTok, which has been in the center of a protracted negotiation with national security officials over how or whether it can operate in the U.S. Administration officials are working with Congress on a solution with Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo saying on Bloomberg last week the administration has been in touch with the bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee and the Democrat co-chair of that committee, Senator Mark Warner, plans to introduce a bill tomorrow that would empower the White House to ban the app if it's so chooses. A senior congressional aide says it sees White House support forming for the bill. Absent a final decision on TikTok's fate from a Treasury-led committee, lawmakers have been piling on their own bans. At least half a dozen bills proposed from both sides of the aisle just since the beginning of this year, some banning downloads of the apps, others potentially penalizing app stores for offering it. Last week, following the first hearing of the Select Committee on China, Congressman Mike Gallagher, who has one such bill, told me it should be up to Congress to ban it or force a sale.
2: There always tends to be this divide in the CFIUS process between certain agencies. Treasury tends to have a different view of China than, say, the National Security Council or DOD does. Maybe that explains the dysfunction. But I think that's all the more reason why Congress should step up and legislative uh, legislative solution to this problem
10: this issue is reaching a fever pitch here in washington melissa with the build up to later this month when TikTok ceo will be in the hot seat on capitol hill so kayla i um, just to ask a
0: little bit more about about the warner thune uh, bill that will be unveiled tomorrow this will give the president the ability to ban u.s uh, to ban foreign com- tech companies i mean that sounds I don't know. It sounds like you're you're giving him the keys to the castle here when it comes to deciding what what can exist in the U.S. and what can't.
10: Sure, and certainly the administration, the Commerce Secretary in that interview that I referenced last week, said that they're not worried just about TikTok. They're worried that TikTok uh, perhaps serves as a you know an exemplar or uh, a, a type of corollary to other apps that could see an example from that and try to operate here in a similar. Uh, in a similar way Um, certainly the administration the prior administration ran into some legal hurdles when it tried to introduce an outright ban of TikTok, and so then it pursued the path of forcing a sale which then fell apart so certainly uh you know some members of congress see that you know if you give the white house more power and they want to make an executive uh, decision on this then perhaps that's the way to go but you know really the the legislative moves here are all over the map melissa and ultimately the administration is going to have to figure out exactly where it stands on this
0: yeah kayla thank you kayla taushi in a quick program you know we should we should note that senator mark warner will be on squawk box tomorrow at 7:45 a.m. eastern time that's right here on cnbc uh you know i think the bottom line is that everybody is trying to find a way to ban tiktok Right? And it's bipartisan.
1: Sure so, is. So you theoretically, and it's global. So theoretically, <laughs> it's global.
0: these are the, the perfect conditions <laughs> for TikTok to be banned. The perfect yeah. conditions. Yep. <laughs> and <laughs> and yet yeah, no, we're
10: a little yeah, bit skeptical. Which is likely
3: <laughs> yeah, a little exactly. why nothing will happen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, how should this? How should we factor this into the stocks at this point? What do you think, following?
3: I, I mean, judging from the moves today, I'm not sure that it hasn't been factored into the stocks. I mean, I, I think a sell or for sale or some type of structure, uh, you know, domestically is probably more likely than an outright ban. I think that's a real slippery slope start getting into it, we look for a retaliatory moves from, from China. I'm just not sure if it's the best long-term way of going about this. Uh, in terms of the stock market performance, I would expect, you know, a snap or a meta, likely meta, to outperform on the back of this news if it were to actually progress into, into actual legal action.
2: Well, and it has. I mean, Meta's, Meta's outperformed Snap by fifty percent um, in the last three months, and if you look at year to date, it's outperformed. I think fifty three percent. It's up to twenty one for Snap. But the story between these two companies, I think, it's some of this this TikTok headline gives people a chance to also assess the valuations in these names. I, I would make an argument that the social media stocks, uh, and they have their own issues, and we know what metas are, and they are the metaverse. We know what Snap is, and we know it's, it's Apple iOS, and where they sit, in, to me, in the sales funnel, in the advertising funnel. But, but it's, it's ultimately, these companies and media companies were sold first on the prospects of recession, and we all know what goes on. They're very cyclical. I think some of this is value coming back into the market. Snap, you know, on a sales revenue, not that bad.
0: All right. Snap shares, meantime, close out a huge day on this news. But options traders are betting the high flyer could pull back soon. Micah's got the action. Mike.
4: Yeah, so Snap traded almost three times its average daily options volume today. The busiest contract were the 11 and a half puts that expire at the end of this week. Over 32,000 of those traded for about 26 cents a contract. However, I should point out that calls did outpace puts. And I think on balance, there were more people betting that it could rally through the end of the week, then fall. Perhaps the
11: put activity was hedging.
0: All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Uh, For more options action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, we're getting the lowdown on energy as Sarah Week kicks off. Brian Sullivan will join us uh, on the ground in Houston with the details. That's next. And throughout March, we are celebrating women's heritage. Here's our own Deidre Bosa.
8: I grew up with three brothers in Toronto, all of them hockey players. One day as I was watching one of their games in a cold arena, I was shivering next to my dad. He turned to me and he said, why aren't you playing? The next week I was on the ice and I learned something valuable. Just get out there and try, you can keep up. I played hockey for years then I carried that empowerment with me in other areas of life and career. So my advice for other women is don't sit in the stands. You can not only keep up, but you can lead.
10: Welcome
0: back to Fast Money. Crude oil prices closing back above the $80 mark for the first time since February 13th today. The commodity now back in positive territory for the year. The move comes as top producers descend on Houston this week for the annual Sarah Week conference. Our own Brian Sullivan is there. Brian, you've been talking to a lot of folks today.
11: A lot on camera and a lot more off camera. Melissa, well, I've been asking them all kind of the same question on and off camera, basically where oil price is going to go higher, lower, about the same in a year. At least the ones on camera, if you watched all day, you heard them pretty much all say that they believed oil prices were going higher. We spoke with Pioneer, we spoke with Occidental, we spoke with Schlumberger, which is now known as SLB, spoke with Baker Hughes. Here's what two of them had to say.
1: I think prices are in a good place right now. If you're in the 75 to $80 range for oil prices, that's a sustainable price um, scenario for the industry to be continue to be healthy.
11: I see us at a bottom. We've had everything thrown at us. We had the SPR, million barrels a day thrown at us. We've had a recession. We had Chinese lockdown. And we've been bouncing around between 73 and 80 WTI. So we're definitely at a bottom. And the question is, when do we break out? I predict sometime this summer, we'll break past 80 WTI on the way to $90 a barrel. Scott, obviously though, Mel, he's been a lot more bullish than many, and he's been wrong in some respects there as well. He noted 800,000-plus barrels a day likely coming online from China or demand-wise coming on from China as the summer approaches. Phil I heard him say today more people are flying now than pre-COVID. Just drive anywhere. So there is a certain sense of optimism. But listen, if you're going to be in this business, you better be optimistic because the industry has been through about 17 recessions in the last 16 cycles. So (laughs) there is certainly a sense of bullishness here at the Week Conference.
0: Yep. Brian, thank you. Brian Sullivan, very busy today. And don't miss Brian's new show, Last Call, that kicks off this Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right, right. here on CNBC. Um, Sheffield, who he had uh, played a soundbite from, Scott Sheffield, the CEO of Pioneer, also said the break-even was 39 bucks. So when you think about that, well, you
2: know, I, oil prices are great where they are, even if they drop more. The energy sector has become lean and mean, and a lot of this break even is also paying down debt. So if you think about their interest expenses and, and it, if you're investing in commodities, these are long cycle and long tail. And if you look at the energy sector, uh, I think it's all about supply. Uh, and I don't see a lot of supply. Again, when you're paying down debt and pay, your payout ratios to your investors are north of 50 percent, you're not investing in new production. And on some level, uh, they used to be punished for this. I think they're being rewarded here.
1: I, I saw the interview. It was a good interview Brian did with Scott Sheffield. I think he also said, we're not going to we're not going to, you know, rev up our production. We are not going right. through that Basically cycle again. their nose but, at the Biden Absolutely. Yeah. It was a very you sort should. of firm answer. Yeah. Grasso?
4: Yeah, I think last year was the year where you had a lot of people who weren't energy investors get pulled into buying energy equities. I think all the equities have topped and they're rounding lower. Um, I, I think oil is range bound. It's probably right around 65 to 100. But if you look at every one of these charts, they're all they're all talking about the equities. They're all talking about buybacks now, which is still public enemy number one on the political front from the White House. I think if you have any profits, lock them in. These equities seem like they're going to be rolling over. People are trying to find a reason to buy tech stocks again. Last year, that wasn't the case.
0: All right, coming up, the chart master, Carter Worth, is channeling his inner animal spirit. He sees a couple of stocks turning from bears into bulls. He'll chart out the names when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The chart master out with an update to his, his list of bearish to bullish reversal buys, beaten down stocks that are poised for a bounce. Let's bring in Carter Worth for a closer look at some of those names on that list. Carter.
9: Well, that's right. From time to time, we put out sort of master lists for what it's worth, stocks that are either rebound candidates or breakout candidates, but one that is sort of actionable or bearish to bullish reversals, right? Heretofore laggards. That are emerging bottoming basing um, rising out of the ashes let's look at a few this is docusign now um, basing bottoming take a look if you add for instance another stock docusign on its own but then the next iteration if we put in now we have square look at that overlay you're talking about an 80 plus percent correlation try sofi They have nothing to do with one another, because it's really not about their fundamentals. It's about how money moves in and out of certain stocks, certain asset classes. These are bearish to bullish reversals. Put in the S&P, of course, and you see what we have, laggards. And the S&P, again, is a pair of twos. It's unchanged one month, six months, one year. It's the same price it was two years ago. The market is sort of dull, but stocks like this, offer an opportunity to generate alpha, prospectively, within a market that's going nowhere.
0: What makes those uh, charts, the three charts, um, Carter, look bullish to you? Because the base doesn't even seem that, I mean, I, you know, what do I know about technical analysis? Nothing, really, except for what you come on and tell us uh, on the show. We you know a lot. Uh, but the bases aren't very, very long or anything like that, and so I'm wondering what you see in these particular charts that make you think they're gonna turn higher, just that they're sure. underperforming so the S&P, in, in can't fact, be that.
9: What, Absolutely. Most of them have, right? So just remember, the chartist is a coward, right? I want you to go first, any of you, but with your money, and then I'll come in after. Someone, the group, the marketplace is buying these stocks. They're up substantially off their lows, hard to see on the screen, but they are, and the price volume correlation is bullish. So the money flow has started to turn them, and it's the precondition of shocking weakness. And now giving way to relative strength, outperforming the market as it goes sideways. That's a good one to set up for prospective further gains.
2: So, Carter, you mentioned those three names and I need to throw Arc at you. What do you do with that chart? Because that's the Same poster thing. child. It,
9: yep. it's a post, And it's a direct overlay. Arc, if you were to look at it on its own, has advanced above. It's now rising 150-day moving average and checked back to it and has bounced off that 150-day.
0: All right, Carter, mm. thank you. If you had more time, I'd ask you what's the difference between this and So Bad It's Good, but that's, that's another <laughs> segment here. Uh, Carter Braxton Worth, as always, good to see you. Um, Steve Grasso, would you rather, 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 uh, however many rathers there are in this? SoFi, Block, Sign, and we're going to throw in there thanks to Timothy Seymour Arc. <laughs>
4: Yeah, so, so to, uh, to Carter's point, they all look the same. Square, they, they all have the 50-day moving uh, either towards or right at the 200-day. So that's your golden cross, shorter term rising above a longer term average. If I had to pick one of these names that I think you can buy for a longer period of time, it would probably be SoFi. But it, it, I mean, Melissa, you talked about before. He talks about the S&P being a pair of twos. But this to me means that the market risk is now in the favor of the bulls where people are willing to go out on that risk curve and start buying names like this again. But you have to have a a real steel stomach if you're gonna buy these. These are very volatile names. Glad you
0: chose that body part. (laughs) Up next, final trades. As opposed to. Time for the final trade. Steve Grasso.
4: Now we know how much China has increased their defense spending. The U.S. is going to be forced to increase theirs. Lockheed receives an overwhelming amount of dollars from that LMT. Bono and Eisen.
3: Uh, CVX. I'm really in these companies, not because of where I think oil prices are going to go, but because of are returning cash to shareholders.
0: Tim Seymour.
2: Very springy today, Mel, by the way, in your pink. Um, Total. I think it's more than springtime for the energy companies. Stay there. TTE.
1: Chairwoman. Yes. The one social media company that hasn't got the TikTok bump, I think, is Alphabet. So Google, final trick. Because, because of YouTube. Because of YouTube, yeah, because exactly. Because of YouTube. Yes, yep. yes, yes. All right. Thank you for clarifying.
0: Thanks for watching. Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at five. Meantime, CBC Special, Taking Stock with John Ford. Starts right now.